Just tell me your she, feelings. Her, she keeps, her tail keeps hitting my microphone. Uh-huh. And I'm like, just. Those are the things I won't hear until I get your final recording. I know. Okay, give me one second. Let me get her off the thing. Bye, Izzy. Okay, I constantly okay. hear my Birkenstocks falling off my foot in my recording. <laughs> Can you hear my squeaky chair? No, I hear my squeaky. Oh, wait, wait, is it your squeaky chair? I don't know. I hear oh, my, no. I think I hear my squeaky chair all the time. Okay, I was going to say, let's just pretend it's yours. Hi, I'm Jason Marcos. And I'm Barry Hamaguchi. This is Flop Redeemer, the weekly podcast where we discuss the stories behind our favorite pop flops and why you should give these songs a second chance. This week, I'm talking about the UK pop group Years and Years and their single Take Shelter from the 2015 debut album Communion. Short and sweet. Get straight right into it. Get to the point. That's what the, the, uh, the public has spoken. Have no they? More, no more dilly dallying. No more nasal gazing. Nasal, nasal, nasal gazing. We're staring into our noses. <laughs> um, how are you this week? Good. Um, do I mention the fact that we're trying to feverishly record two episodes in a single day in a very limited amount of time? <laughs> well, this will be a treat for everyone because everyone knows how just just how fucking long our episodes are sometimes and uh this will be a treat for you this will get it back into the window of perhaps an hour digestible yeah hopefully you were not using us to like sustain like a 90 minute drive or something i know i know and this this episode will end and you'll just have dead silence for the last (laughs) 30 minutes of your drive who's driving no one's driving um Oh, speaking of driving. Speaking of driving. I got a new car yesterday. What? <laughs> I refilled were... the air in my tires yesterday. <laughs> I never I, I bought one of those little things to make sure that like an air compressor. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, to, yeah, yeah, yeah. To do it. Um, but no, they, they kept sending me. So, you know, I've been leasing. And okay. uh, they sent me an email. Basically, I could upgrade for like. To the new model and the better version, like the top of the line version, for less money. Oh. So I was like, I mean, that's kind of a no brainer, sure. Is it like rates are falling? I guess. Wait, was your lease I, up? Or were you still it, it was good well, it was gonna be up in ten months. So okay. not not too soon, but it was the time when they were like they start sending you the stuff and you know, when I was looking at it, well, if I've got ten months left, I'm gonna pay this much at the higher rate, and then if I trade out and get a better car i save the the difference in the price for those at least those 10 months Mm -hmm. and then over the rest of the life of the lease so i'm gonna do that it comes out in the wash (laughs) we did the math it comes out i always just disregard anytime the car dealership reaches out to me because i assume they're trying to scam me (laughs) Um, well i i i didn't get any add-ons this time okay they were like oh uh do you want to um extended warranty or yeah i was and i was like no and he was like are you sure i was like i have had two leases with you i have never used any of the additional things This is what they have like a roadside roadside assist all that That one comes with it but they had like a um they had a well so the, here's the thing now so so they're not 
doing, they're not paying for the maintenance anymore. So like if you take oh. your car in, you get, um, what do you call it? The oil change is free mm-hmm. and the tire rotation is free. Okay. But if they do anything else, they charge you, which I guess had had typically been covered before. So I, I don't, I'm like, does that mean like the windshield wiper? Like, you know, just like, oh, the oh, I thought that was included in an oil change. And they, but like, it, that's what I, mean, I thought too. Parts and stuff should still be yeah. covered under like parts a warranty, right? Yes. And so he was like, oh, so it's like, you know, if you pay this much, then we'll cover it. And I was like, I, no, we'll just come to it when we come to it because I don't want to have it baked in. Yeah. I'm trying to think about like what out of pocket costs. I had to pay for my car or like, cause what you're uh, on like what, like a three well, year lease, like, two year lease, three year lease, three. Year okay. Lease. Cause I don't know. So it's I mean, not much. I guess that like, I mean, in terms of those maintenance packages though, once you hit like the major maintenance intervals, like your 30, mm-hmm. 60, 90,000 miles, yeah. those are, those aren't covered anyway. Well, my first one was through my maintenance oh. package when I bought my car. My thirty thousand was covered, and thank God it was because that one was like eight hundred dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. sixty was not, and I was like, "Great, like here we go." Yeah. But yeah. um, you'll be happy to know that I've had a uh, leaky leaky valve stem on Ooh. my driver's side um, front tire for possibly three years. <laughs> which is why I carry around an air compressor with me because yeah. it's so it's such a slow leak and I think it's in the valve stem because every time I go to the shop they're like we can't find a leak we can't find a leak we're doing like the whole submerging your tire shit and I'm like no I think it's a broken valve stem it's a valve stem thing because it's so slow I lose about uh, seven pounds of tire pressure every four weeks so very very slow it's very <laughs> your car is very slowly sighing <laughs> yeah it's just it's like, losing <sighs> oxygen and um but during the pandemic i was driving so little and my car has just been parked in front of our house that mm. sometimes i won't even drive for four weeks mm-hmm. which is bad i know i should be starting up my car more often but yesterday i was about to go somewhere and i was like let me um look at this mm-hmm. my driver's side front tire had 18 psi Oh my god! I I should have looked. Okay, so next time when I know when you were out of town, I should check it. Actually, it's fine. I mean, like, I need visual to visual check. I need when to, I come and check on your house. I fully need to get new tires anyway because they are they're original to my car. My car is like five years old now. I've I've never gotten new tires. Is so. it only five years old? Is that when you call? Oh, me? it's it's six. Oh, it'll be turning six this year. Oh, it's turning six like this month. I got it in like March of 2015. Oh, speaking of March of 2015, uh-huh. that was the first time I ever saw Years and Years live. <laughs> okay, good, good. We got, Bringing we, it back. We, so, we did it, guys. We did it. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. Um, I just remember you calling me from the dealership when you bought I the car. I, I got kind of like bamboozled. I got bamboozled <laughs> into buying a new car. I was, I was, uh, Davey was at the Nissan dealership in Glendale getting his car maintenance performed and i was just walking around i was like oh like you know what my corolla is like 13 years old at that point i was like oh you know like i just want to see what new cars look like and i was walking around and i and i ended up at the dealership um the subaru dealership proud subaru owner um and 
Yeah, fully, fully bamboozled. You were, I think, I believe you called me hiding from the salesperson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I got, I got, I got sucked <laughs> in. I got sucked into a human conversation, a, an actual human interaction. Um, and yeah, it, it, <laughs> and I told you to wait, and then you. <laughs> and I the called next time you. you called me. <laughs> I called you. I called my mom, and my mom was really the one that was just like, "Oh, just do it." She's like, "You'll love uh, it. You'll love having a new mm. car." And I'm like, "Okay." It is. Not, I mean, your car. You were the first of us, I think, I to know. get the the cross the Subaru. Uh, you know, for everyone who doesn't know, our entire friend group has basically been taken over by Subarus. I think there's what six. As, as has the world, though. I feel yeah, like yeah, once yeah, yeah. once uh, we started seeing Subarus appear in like Portland, that was the mm-hmm. first time I'd ever seen a Crosstrek. Was I saw them in Portland in like twenty? It must have been the year before that, like twenty fourteen. Yeah. And they were everywhere in Portland, as oh as God. Pacific Northwesterners do. Like they they popularized the outback in the like late nineties, early two thousands, or lesbians even did. before that. Even before that, but um, like in the in the Northeast too. And um, but yeah, definitely the lesbians. Yeah, so we saw we saw a lot of cross tracks in Portland in like twenty fourteen. I want to say, and I was like, what is this car? And then, yeah, that day, looking around the dealership, I was like, oh, this is that car, the, the Crosstrek. Um, yeah, anyway, I ended up with a Crosstrek. It's, 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 it's fine. It's good. I, I enjoy having a car that can uh, adequately um, attain speeds of 65 miles per hour or higher in the distance of a freeway on-ramp, which, you know, my Corolla could sometimes do. <laughs> although although being on the east side now ooh, some of those on-ramps uh are are, are shorter than others oh yeah don't um, don't 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 take the 110 yeah yeah oh just okay. never get on that <laughs> just never get on that freeway <laughs> or, I mean, or get on it where you have like if you get on it by my house like it uh there's like a long ramp yeah don't dox, like, don't dox yourself up. jason don't tell people where you live I'm not. I'm just saying. <laughs> but you know, like, cause um, little you know, history fact, history of LA fact is like that 110 freeway. That segment of the 110 freeway in Northeast LA is like the oldest segment of freeway in LA, right? It's like I think in the country. I think it's like the freeway that Who Framed Roger Rabbit is based on. Oh, the craziness of it. Yeah. Well, you know, like that whole subplot of Who yeah, Framed yeah, Roger yeah. Rabbit that like they're they they buy out the red car in LA in order to shut it down to oh, yeah, yeah, build yeah, yeah. the freeway yeah. and then increase dependency on cars. They're basically yeah. setting it up so that public transportation in LA will be completely impossible. Which is a, which is a true story. Yeah. because true story. Um, what was it? Mildred Pierce. The movie Mildred Pierce or the book Mildred Pierce? I can't remember. That's where Joan, that's where Joan Crawford slaps a girl? Yes, because her daughter is a psychopath. Um <laughs> In that mo- in that movie or in that book, I can't remember which. There's a lot of um, like LA geography where I think they want to live in Pasadena because that's where all the nice houses are, but I think they actually live in Glendale. And there's all these like train like train rides and bus rides from like Pasadena to like Malibu or like Santa Monica. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just thinking about that, I was like, oh shit, like this predates all of this like freeway shit we deal with now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, 110 freeway, oldest freeway, um, does not bank, do not speed on the 110 freeway. 
No. Do not. Cars no. flip over on that shit because you're you are not used to a road curving that much and not banking. Your car was not meant to take curves at speeds greater than 55 miles per hour. I've seen it happen. Um, and yeah, those exits on the 110 are about 10 feet long. You will oh not be prepared for driving at freeway speeds. And then you see the exit. You see that the exit speed limit is five miles per hour. And then you realize you have to slow down. <laughs> because it's literally a hard right turn and a stop. Yeah. There's like a stop <laughs> sign within five feet of getting off the freeway. And you're just praying to God that no one is trying to get off the freeway behind you yeah. and going to just slam into you. Well, I pray that like the people behind me aren't just through traffic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I'm like, yeah. oh, I need to tell these people that I'm getting off the freeway. Yeah, I, I, I put my blinker on really yeah, early. Yeah. If they have any illusions that they're going to be able to continue in this right lane at speed, like they are dreaming because I am screeching to a halt to get off this freeway. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Today we're talking about years and years. Um, We are going to be posting everything about this episode to our website. I'll post a map of the 110 freeway to our website, floppredeemer.com. Yeah. You can also contact us via email at flopperdeemer at gmail.com. Reach out. Let us know what you think of this um, fast and furious. Uh, what is it? Harried, very fast and mostly furious. Yes. Very, f- you know, normal amounts of fury. I'm a little harried today. Um, let us know what you think. Could we be more harried, less harried? Let us know. Let's take a break. Okay, so we're back. And today, I'm going to talk about the song Take Shelter by Years and Years uh, from their first album, Communion, which was released, oddly enough, on my birthday in 2015. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Your 21st birthday. Uh, How old was I? No. No, I was like like 33. (laughs) (laughs) Old ass man. Um. So if if you don't know who Years and Years are, Years and Years is a British band. Uh, they were formed in 2010 by uh, two. The first two members were Mikey Goldsworthy and uh, Emre Turkman. Uh, they heard lead singer. Well, they heard Ollie Alexander singing in the shower. And okay. I had to dig into this because I was like, <laughs> "How did you paint the picture?" Singing? Yeah, I was like, "What?" Because it, because it, because like every story is just like, "Oh, they heard him singing in the shower," and I'm like, "Okay, I need to know more." So, um, <laughs> Mikey knew this girl that Ollie lived with, and they had there had been a party at the house, and I guess Mikey had stayed over or fallen asleep there or something. They don't go into details, but Ollie w- lived there. And okay. had been wanting to get involved with this band for a while. Had wanted to join a band. Mm-hmm. So he engineered it so that Sneaky. he would sing in the shower when the person from the band was staying over. Um, the machinations of it all. I know. I know. I, I thought it was just like fortuitous. And then and then he kind of like comes clean. He's like, no, I kind of engineered the situation. Orchestration. <laughs> um, which, I don't know, kind of makes me, I find endearing. Um <laughs> I mean, because you know, if you if you if you got to go for what you want, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Manifestation. Um, this is like manifestation, right? You're manifesting. Yeah. yeah. Put yeah. it in the universe. So, 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 Mikey and Emery um, ask him to join as lead vocalist, and eventually, Ollie becomes not just the lead vocalist, but also the lead songwriter. Um, 
they started out, it was actually a, a five-person band, but over the course of a couple of years as they were like working out their stuff, um, two of the other members uh, dropped out. Uh, and so they continued as a trio and they released their first single, Traps, in 2013, and then the single, Real, in 2014. And both were on French label, My Son Kitsune. Uh-huh, Are you uh-huh. familiar? Right? Yes. Yeah. I feel like they, yeah. I, you know, I, bleh, bleh. yeah, I am familiar. I feel like there's very there's various artists that I follow throughout the years that have singles that pop up on Kitsune. Well, it's it's a very well respected sort of indie label, mm-hmm. and and you know it's pretty prestigious in a, in in that in that sense that like if you're on there, you're you're typically pretty buzzy. You've got like sort of indie cred. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple other bands that other people may know from there are um, Two Door Cinema Club. Who I do love, um, Larue. You mentioned Larue earlier. Larue yep. was on. My That's where Kitsune. I got my first Larue single. I think was in for the kill. I got off mm. of Kitsune. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, also, uh, who's the other one? Um, Phoenix. Mm. Do you remember Phoenix? Yeah, that French band. Yeah, it's funny. Can't tell I, you what I, song I know from them, but I remember that I name, know. and I remember people going to the Hollywood Bowl to see them. People, people meaning me. Okay, yes, including, <laughs> including, but not limited to you. Yeah. So, so years and years, you know, it's it's, you know, they're they're on this label now. Uh, this this sort of independent highly curated, well-regarded small French label, um, they start really formulating their sound. And they're, they've become this synth-pop, electro-pop band with R&B and 90s house influences, um, as well as some like dance hall influences. Um, Ollie Alexander's voice is very youthful. And I think to the extent that like it's shocking to kind of realize, when you hear it, it's kind of shocking to realize he's 30 now. Because uh, he still sounds the same, but he he looks young. He sounds young. He's got this sort of angelic R and B inflected voice. Uh, he he grew up listening to like Stevie Wonder and loves like R and B. When he sings, it actually comes across a little bit more like Justin Timberlake. Uh, Agree. That would be my right. That would be my um, yeah. My my description of his voice is uh, like nasal. Yeah, nasal grit, like a little, a slightly high pitched nasal grit that I actually mm-hmm. associate a lot with like male British pop artists. In a yes, way. like Ollie. I think it's yeah. Ollie Murs has a same the same ish kind of voice. Uh-huh. Daniel uh-huh. Bedingfield. Daniel Bedingfield also has this kind of voice. Yeah, it's true. Will Will who was the gay winner of Pop Idol? Will Will Young. Will Young. Same ish they kind do. of voice. You know what? But you know what? It's 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 a gay. Well, I don't know if they're all gay. They're not <laughs> no, all they're gay because no, Oliver Mars is not gay. But um, it's it's it tends to be like the white British pop acts yes. because the black British pop acts sound similar to themselves, but also but different. Mm-hmm. It's like uh, not nasal. I don't just well, it is maybe a little nasal, but I always describe that voice as sort of like singing. Like it sounds like. The back of the throat, like M N E K. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's like a, a phrasing or something. It's like, but it's a, it's, like it's singing. Yeah, I always wonder if it's like a. It, is it an accent? Is it well, not an accent, but like, I always wonder if it's related to like their speaking voices. Yeah, because I noticed yeah. that like M N E K, the way that M N E K sings, his singing voice. I don't know if it's like. 
Like, do you watch Sex Education? Yeah. And you know how, like, the the best gay black friend uh-huh. on Sex Education? Like, his speaking voice has that same quality of, like, yeah. the back of the throat. You're right. And mm-hmm. I don't know if that's, like, an accent thing or if it's, like, a familial, like, the way that your parents speak informs like the way that your voice and then your singing voice comes out of your throat Uh uh-huh because it is very different it's like yeah it's very different and it's and it's it's sort of almost easily identifiable Mm -hmm. right because you can you you might not know who's singing but you're like i think this is a pop star from england or something you know like you can kind of you can kind of pick it up um so yeah so so you know, kind of JT, kind of, you know, Justin Timberlake-y, but not, I don't know, not as cringy to me. Um, um, their music is very, it's very synthy. Mm-hmm. It's very layered. Um, they're, they're known really for sort of being very upbeat and having these very like soaring anthemic pop choruses. In 2014, they signed to Polydor. They left, uh, Mason Kitsune on the strength of some really buzzy live performances that they'd done like for, you know, European radio um, and some festivals over there and released a few other singles, including Take Shelter, which is what I'm going to talk about and Desire in 2015. Um, Early in January 2015, they won the BBC Sound of 2015 poll. And that's an annual survey that the BBC does of music critics and industry insiders, you know, to find promising new talent. Um, Some previous winners of the Sound of contests include 50 Cent, which I I found hilarious. Okay. Um, Adele, Mm -hmm. Corinne Bailey Ray, Ellie Mm -hmm. Goulding, Heim. Um, and interestingly enough, in 2014, Sam Smith was the one who won. So directly the year prior to years and years winning, um, Sam Smith had won. And the interesting thing there is when we talked about Sam Smith, we talked about their voice and their music and sort of their journey of coming out as a queer artist. And one of the things that initially had turned me off to Sam Smith was sort of the sort of sad mopey nature of of the music like always kind of like heartbreak and like sad and unrequited love but like in this sort of tragic queer story it sort of fulfilled a tragic queer stereotype in my opinion um so what i find interesting is Sam Smith wins in 2014 years and years wins in 2015 now the other two members of years and years are straight but Ollie is very openly gay. Well, he's kind of had a journey as well. Being openly gay, but like the public sort of realizing it over time and him sort of articulating it more and more in different interviews. But the thing about Years and Years music that to me sets it apart from Sam Smith and one of the reasons that I was holding Years and Years as a counterpoint to Sam Smith in um, that previous episode was there's sort of this unabashed sense of queer joy and desire that comes through in years and years music. Um, the lyrics, a lot of times, they'll be written with with the use of he and him pronouns. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of queer artists, um, and a lot of artists in general, but a lot of queer artists specifically will write songs that are that that focus on you, I we you know so that it's more universal and it's like you know that they're queer you know who they're speaking about but only through other contexts Mm -hmm. and ollie's made this point about being like 
I, I get that for other people, but I want to sing how I feel. And I feel this about a man. And I think one of the reasons that I really respond to years and years music is like, you know, it's, it, I don't, I, you know, I, I mentioned, you know, I'm older now, much older than he is. And, and potentially <laughs> much, their target. Not that much older. Uh, nine years. That's almost. Okay. That's a decent amount. Okay. Um, But, you know, it's, it's like, there are very few instances of pop music where like I can relate specifically to the exact thing that the person is talking about from like a, a, a sex or love or, you know, very emotional sort of standpoint. And I think it's great after, you know, being a pop music fan my whole life um, to finally get that sense of belonging. After they win, so after they win BBC Sound of 2015, their next single, King, is released. And that is like a huge hit. It goes to number one on the UK singles chart. It goes to number one in 10 other European countries. Um, it's the song that you were kind of. It's the I only think, song I know by your them. Head. Yeah. It's the only one. I don't know how I know this song. I don't know it, it what was kind exposure of everywhere. <laughs> and I think it got a lot of licensing. Okay. It, you know, it was. It has that da 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 yeah. da 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 da. It's very effervescent, and I think that that that's kind of a hallmark of the of a lot of years and years of music. It's just like this driving, sort of relentlessly bubbly, you know, electronic pop. Um, even if the lyrical content isn't necessarily always, you know, it's a lot of it is about unrequited love or mm-hmm. heartbreak, but there's it still comes across as joy, um, and you know, because cause King, <laughs> it sounds so fun. And then you realize that it's like about like sort of being mistreated in a relationship or like being in, in love with someone who like really just doesn't care about you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like and he talks about always having been attracted to assholes and trying to like break that cycle. And mm-hmm. but you wouldn't get that just by listening to the song. You're like, oh, yeah, I'm just bobbing ahead. And you're like, oh, my God, what's the song about? Um, That's fully how I feel about the vast majority of their songs, I still, mm-hmm. and I don't know what it what it takes for me to pay attention to lyrics. Mm. I don't know because, yeah, I until you just said it, I really had never thought about what the song King was King. I had never really thought yeah. about what the song King was about, and now I'm trying to figure out if I know what the song Take Shelter is about. Well, and and so here's the thing. So we're getting to it really quick, but you know, King comes out. That's a big hit. Um, they're 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 riding this wave of sort of indie cred success, um, and then and then blowing up into mainstream success on the other side of the pond. They come to the U.S. that spring. They made their L.A. debut at KCRW School Night concert in March 2015. So when you were hiding from the dealership, uh, oh, <laughs> I was at the, I was at the car dealership. Um, years and years was at the Hollywood Bowl. No, they were at Bardot. Oh, do you remember Bardot? Bardot? Never been. It was it was close to the Avalon, um, or it's like attached. I used to go there. Like, oh man, I used to go there on Tuesday nights. Oh, that was fun. Um, <laughs> just I, I think that's where I saw, not Sam Smith. Who was the other Sam? Uh, Black and Gold. That song. Sparrow. Sam Sparrow. I saw him. He was <sighs> wearing was a Sam tuxedo. Sparrow. He was wearing a tuxedo jacket, and then long, wide denim shorts that came down below his knee. And I was so confused and fashion maven. 
yeah, I didn't make sense. But anyway, so, no, we're, so gonna, they, we're we're just getting old. Well, is Sam yeah, Sparrow our age? Yes. This okay. was a long time ago. This was He's a just very ahead long of the curve. Ago. Way ahead of the uh, curve. <laughs> I remember, yeah. I mean, those were the days when I'd go, I'd fly home from Hawaii or wherever, you know, and then like do a quick change and meet my friends out at a bar. Like, you know, and then go to work the next day. I don't, I can't, it just exhausts me thinking about it. <laughs> uh but yeah they were there and uh so kcrw this was uh hosted school nights and that was like sort of where they would um premiere sort of buzzy artists similar like similarly to like the sound of 2015 but chris doritas was the one who pushed this this show series chris Mm -hmm. doritas if you're not familiar um, is the music is a musical director at KCRW, um, but was also a musical director on a, like a lot of different shows, like TV shows. He's the one who really, I think, he's the one who put Sia on the Six Feet Under soundtrack. Oh. Which is he the um, one that is he the one that had the thing? Uh, yes. Okay. Look it up, people. I think it was he was cleared there, of that. It, it was like he was cleared of that. Okay. Because uh, is he I mean, still it's... around on KCRW? I believe so. I could okay. be wrong. I, I haven't. I, that, was I kind a wild, of black, that was a wild. I blacked out after. I, yeah, I kind of like left him behind after all it's, that. Yeah, it's well. Yeah, but it's very, sad because like it, I, I never understood exactly like what, what you know like what's the truth. What happened? Dot gif, yeah, but um, yeah. It forever. It forever. Like it forever. Like is imprinted in my head about him. That, yeah. Like, well, it's it's resurfaced sort of, I guess, in the way in which KCRW handled it. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure we're re-examining everything. Yeah, and it's uh, just from a cursory sort of glance at some things that that came across my radar in the last couple of weeks. It, I don't know. It doesn't. I don't yeah. know if it looks anyway. good or not. But anyway, he's he was very he was very influential in terms of placement, like you know, really yeah. high profile placements mm-hmm. of these sort of indie darlings that then turn them into household names. Right, mm-hmm. and so you know, going being on this series or being on this at this at this concert um i don't even remember i think maybe we had heard one of the songs maybe king had come out or something like that and i just heard it and i think you know it was back when you know some of those tickets were like 15 bucks 20 bucks or might have even been free um so we went and i just remember being like they are so fun it was like these you know it's a it's a young band and ollie was so cute like he's just he's just very he's very charismatic He's just bubbly and boyish and just full of energy and has a great voice. Like it's it's unique. Um, I wouldn't always say that like, you know, a Justin Timberlake style, you know, R&B pop vibrato mm-hmm. voice is my favorite, but it works. And like combined with his personality and his sense of showmanship, um, you know, I just I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed them. You know what it is about his voice versus Justin Timberlake's voice? And I don't know if this is like an American versus a British thing, but I feel like mm-hmm. when you're someone like a Justin Timberlake, um, and, and th- there's a little bit of like a Megan Trainer of it all too, where I feel like as an American trying to sing that type of music, there always feels like there's an affectation put onto it. Like when Justin mm. Timberlake sings, you feel like, is this a put on affectation? kind of like the quote unquote like R&B soulness of sure. his voice as opposed to like who he is as a human being when you hear him speaking sure. out of his mm-hmm. mouth yeah with out of his brain 
Um, same thing with Megan Trainer. Whereas, like, I don't feel like British artists are necessarily trying to put on that affectation. It's just the way they sing. Because in a we- in a weird way, like British artists are just trying to erase their Brit. No, does does Ali Alexandra sing with a British accent? Because I know that that's like a big di- big thing with British artists is whether or not British artists choose to sing with a, a quote unquote like, like American Adele. accent. Yeah, like I know, like um, wait, does Adele? What does Adele sing? Adele sings with a British accent. Okay, because I know, like Lily, right? Allen, you can hear it. Well, yeah. Lily Allen famously sings very strongly with a British accent. Yeah, but it's like yeah. a lot of British singers. You know, they 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 do their best at putting on like an American affect to their singing voices, um, which I don't know what my yeah. point is here. I just don't think that like. You know, his to, doesn't sound as cloying in that way. To draw a parallel between Ollie Alexander and a Justin Timberlake, I think the key difference there is that, like, I don't feel like Ollie Alexander is trying as hard to put on like some kind of soulful R and B affect, or even like that sort of swag that people. I I think yeah. that affect is it. They're they're tied, right? It's like that sort of. There's like a neck roll, yeah, and uh, you know, and. That's not what he does. He just no. sings like that. And so, yeah, it's, 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 and it's just brighter. Like it doesn't feel weighed down. I, I want to say it doesn't feel weighed down by like the, the tr- overt trying to be sexiness of it all mm-hmm. that I think sometimes gets put on with that R&B sound. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and even if the content might be sexy, it's, it just, it comes off as more ebullient than anything else. And so, you know, they, you know, they, they make their LA debut following that they went to South by Southwest and got a lot of buzz there, you know, just kind of, it, it was funny. I was, I was doing research for this and it's crazy how the pandemic like wiped my memory of like South by Southwest and how influential that is mm-hmm. or has mm-hmm. been in the past. Like with just one year without South by Southwest, I'm like, what? <laughs> South by what? Oh yeah. That's a thing. I think it's happening right now. Yeah, it's like yes, because you can like a digital. You can see stuff digitally. Yeah, yeah. there was. I saw something on Instagram that was like, "Check something out this weekend before it goes away." Yeah. Um, I didn't. So I don't know. Um. Uh. So so after all this buzz, their debut album comes out in the summer of 2015. Communion. It goes to number one in the UK. It is the fastest selling highest charting debut album for a uk artist that year um it goes to uh number one on the u.s dance album chart it ends the year at 24 so not bad for a dance album um it peaked in the u.s at number 47 um on the billboard 200 okay and so the reason i bring that up is because it was a bigger i mean they were popular they they were like you heard King and you weren't even trying to hear it. You just, that's the song that you know. Yeah. So I have no idea through, how. <laughs> well, it broke through to some extent, yeah. but not to the extent that it did in the UK or that they did in the UK. Um, and, you know, number 47 on a billboard. It's okay. I mean, that's, it's not bad. I mean, it shows that they made some penetration, but like, it's not in like the top 10. It wasn't like a well for uh, for an album hit. Yeah, I mean, but for an album that produced no mainstream singles in the US, yeah. that's yeah. that's pretty good. To that's even pretty make it good. onto the top 200. I would so say. So, I guess my point there being But what does that translate to? Like 5,000 albums? 4,000 albums? 3? I don't know. I don't know what it was. I mean, it's got to to peak <laughs> at 45 is like 
that might that i mean in 2015 that might have been like 77 albums (laughs) you never know (laughs) i know how many physical albums they did um oh you know what was interesting was they were the first artists to go to number one once everything switched to a new music friday uh format oh so i i didn't I, i was trying to remember the other day just when did it switch from music releases being on like whatever that Tuesday was? Tuesdays, yeah. To Friday. And I guess it was 2015. <laughs> Who was responsible for that? I don't know. Was it okay. Spotify? No, I think <laughs> that there was an artist that was responsible for it. Like something, was it Drake? Someone. Someone was dropping stuff on Fridays and it just like mm. upended everything. But like yeah. I, because it, what was it? Back in my music industry days, I was responsible for reporting sound scan data which is the data that they use to compile those charts. And it was a wild time of, yeah, like having to compile all those numbers on um, like midweek. Yeah. Because the chart had to come out on like a Tuesday. Mm-hmm. So you'd be compiling these numbers. I forget what the logic was, but I just, I had to sit there with yeah. an Excel spreadsheet and like compile all these sales numbers and like email them off to someone. And I was like, it's a miracle that these charts happen. And then, you know, I don't even know yeah. what they represent because I think, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, I mean, number 45, it, good for years and years. 47, 47. 47. Oh, okay. Slightly. <laughs> Slightly not as good. 47. <laughs> good try. Good try. Good try. I mean, you know, it's like to your point, it's to hit number 47 on the Billboard 200 and not have any top 10 singles in the US at all. Or even like top uh, hundred singles, right? Like they. Well, were, I know. I think. I think. Yeah, because I think they were well, getting radio play. They were getting like dance club play. It was getting dance club play. They were getting, um, you know, it was NPR. YouTube. Yeah, NPR, YouTube, the uh, just sort of viral, you know, word of mouth. Basically, who they were. They were. I, I feel like they were starting to get um, some traction in the gay community, right? Because not only first of all they're like a gay or he's he's a queer or gay frontman for an electro pop band that is putting out danceable music that is also a critical darling that doesn't come around a lot so i think a lot of people in the gay community really kind of circled the wagons and were like yeah we're gonna get behind this guy or or this band and um you know, because they would they would then go on the Pride circuit, and you know he he'd he'd be doing these interviews talking about being an out kind of gay gay person, talking about bullying, talking about mental health, like you know, just he was he's a good he was a good um sort of uh not uh, I don't want to say figurehead, but and 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 he doesn't like to use the word advocate because he's like it takes away from or activist because he's like it takes away from like actual activists, mm-hmm. but. You know, he's just someone visi- who's he's like just, out there, he's a got visible visibility. icon. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Who who's you know showing this other side of things, and 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 you know not necessarily a niche artist. I mean, niche in the extent that like not like a Justin Timberlake, but you know, niche having in the a number one album. British. <laughs> well, but like, uh, but like he's he's that those same things to people in the UK, and he was they were much more popular there. They had like four Brit Award nominations. They they won a bunch of stuff in the MTV. Europe and you know just performance wise and video wise so um there ended up being well let me let me just say this so so take shelter is the second single from the in the lead up to the release of that album communion okay um 
it's different than the others. There were a total of six singles that came out in promotion for that album. This was the second. It's my personal favorite, but it was like the... (laughs) True, true to the format of this show, uh, it was the lowest performing of all of the singles. I think even in the UK, Take Shelter hit number 147. Okay. The reason I like Take Shelter, King, Shine, Desire, these are all huge singles from that album. They're all very bright and I've used the word ebullient, like... They're all very, they're a lot more up-tempo. up-tempo. I would, I would say that the, the, the succession of so many up-tempo singles starts to feel very frenetic. They feel not just frenetic, but they sort of blend mm-hmm. together, right? There's, there's a similarity there. They yeah. are different, but there's a similarity there. There's, there's branding for sure. The reason I like Take Shelter is because it's different. It, it immediately goes to a, it, it feels darker. It it's not as bright mm-hmm. as those as those singles. It's more it's very dance holly. And when I say dance hall, like I don't want nobody come for me. <laughs> it's it's dance hall by way of like Diplo. Okay. You know I was I mean? like like because I was listening to it, I was like, oh, is this like is this what a reggaeton song is? Because <laughs> it has that like it has that like off kilter yeah. hobbled beat. Dun dun dun. Yeah. Dun, dun, it's dun, like dun. it's like it's like one one, three, and then the and of two on the following measure. Is that what it is? It's uh-huh, dun, uh-huh, dun. Uh-huh. Or, you know, I was trying to look there's up like a, a good There's like definition. a third beat that's like syncopated that kind of, yeah, if you're yeah. trying to dance to it in a normal um, hand clap on two and four fashion, like you're, you're just going to... You have to kind of do a... You have to kind of do a step. Yeah. Right? Like there's like a... It is... It is... It's that thing that forces yeah. your hip to jut out. Like you take a step down and then your hip juts out because there's like a syncopated beat in there. Exactly. Anyway. And I, that's why I didn't want to be like, it's, I mean, it's, it's not dance hall. It's not Beanie Man, you know, it's like, but it's sort of that 2015, like I said, like by way of like Diplo and like filtered through like pop music at that point. Um, it's, it's just darker. It's, 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 it is still fun to dance to, but it's not as like obviously joyous. Um, yeah, because their other singles, their yeah. their other singles almost have like a pop fanfare to them. Yes, like there's yes. a synth hook to all their other singles that are like, Ba-da-na-na-na. like yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it yeah, truly yeah. feels like a fanfare. It, it makes you feel like you're gonna go dance in a club with your arms stretched out in front of you. Yeah, right. Like it's or like up in the air, or like you're just like. Or like, or like an old Navy commercial, or like <laughs> yes, or 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 like you know grocery delivery. That, <laughs> da, 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 da. You're like, oh, my groceries came. You know, it's like it's like the same. It, yeah, it's 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 just this take shelter. I like because it's. I, I also feel like I like the way it sits with his voice a little bit because you know we've talked about it being sort of nasal and high, mm-hmm. um, and I think the other songs really kind of along with the pop fanfare and all of that, just kind of take it to another level. Take Shelter, it causes him to sing a little bit lower and, you know, get into, maybe not grit, but just like that dark, just, it's it's more about desire. Like, when I say sexier, I mean, it's like actually sexy because he's like, are you going to come over? Like, it's, you know what I mean? Like, is that what this song is about? A, Sorry, I, as per yeah. usual, I don't know what the lyrics of the song actually are telling me. Yeah, it's it's about like hooking up. Basically. Oh, okay. And 
And I like that about it. And I'll tell you why. <laughs> I like that it's unabashed and it's not hiding it behind necessarily. I mean, it is a euphemism, take shelter or whatever. But it's not vague. Like it's it's like a young gay man talking about desire and who he wants to do it with. Like just in a pop song. You know, the way that like cis hetero musicians have been doing for forever um, and creating like sexy kind of music, sexy dance music. Mm -hmm. Right. And I I like that. It's like, this is for me. Um, So like, I I really kind of respond to that. Is this okay. I'm look. I'm reading the lyrics now. Sorry. I know I've done this before. I I know that when you told me about the song, I, I listened to, I did, I tried to do like a close listen and I was reading the lyrics and um, full disclosure, my like reading comprehension was always like the lowest thing on any of my standardized tests. For someone that like grew up being a very voracious reader, I would take these like reading comprehensions test, reading uh-huh. comprehension tests, and fuck up everything and realize like, oh, like you didn't understand shit. I don't know what this. I still don't know what this song is about. Yeah, I mean, it's we run around like we don't care. It's gonna leave its mark somewhere. Do you want to show me something new? You go now. Reach my top anyway. Just tell me what I have to do to keep myself apart from you. All your colors start to burn. Uh, well, it's like, it's kind of like back and forth, back and forth. I don't really want to stop myself. Nobody's going to tell me I need help. Are you coming over soon? Take shelter. Get used. Okay. I don't know. Anyway, I don't know what I know. It's songwriting. I I I feel troubled by these lyrics. Yeah. But I, but I think, I think that's, if this is a song about hooking up, something in the milk ain't clean. Well, not not hooking up, just like, <laughs> like like so like what he was talking like in his subsequent interviews and and over the course of the last few years, he's talked about like a lot of his music was about relationships that didn't work out. Mm-hmm. They were all kind of dramatic, and he was saying they were all kind of assholes. Um, he did date at one point the violinist from Clean Bandit. I oh, forget yes. his name. Yes, I remember um, this. He was very clear to say, like, none of these songs are about him. Like, mm. there are other people that he's dated and other, you know, but like he 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 struggled with like shame and self-loathing. And so that came out in his relationships and like didn't feel like he deserved to be treated a certain way. And so there's a lot of the lyrics talk about this like sort of like push-pull and you know, using sex as validation, but like being, you know also being willing to be treated poorly just because like you, you still want to be in a relationship and just, you know, like all like a lot of the things that like, I think that people go through earlier in their life mm-hmm. sometimes as they're figuring out who they are, what they want, what they need. And um, this song, I feel marries sort of the lyrical content with the musical accompaniment in mm-hmm. a way that's like more fitting than some of the other songs. Like I, 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 it resonates with me more and you know me, I like a good bridge. There's like a, a good bridge in my opinion. Okay. Um, that's kind of it. <laughs> that's kind of it. Like I just like the song. I, I wanted to, the reason I wanted to talk about them is because I feel like you may have heard their name. You may have heard King, but if you were turned off by King, there's some other music there that I think gets at who they are, why I think they deserve another listen. Take Shelter is one of them. There's a, there is a slow song 
on the album called Memo that I love. I really adore that song. And it's just kind of Ollie and like a piano or electric piano. Um, it's very sweet and sad. But it's, you know, that was one of the things that just, I, I, I just really kind of fell in love with them. Mm-hmm. Their follow-up album a few years later, Palo Santo, also good. Um, again, like I don't always, the, 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 the number one, <laughs> The number one singles aren't necessarily what gravitate what caused me to gravitate towards them. Yeah, this follow up album has a really irritating uh, song in it. it. Like if you if you're if you're over me, da, 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 yes, da, da, yes. I, which I don't like. I hate this. Song. I mean, it gets stuck. It gets stuck in my head. It's but the, there are yeah, other uh, songs on there, like Sanctify. I think there's a um, there's a song on that album. Uh, give me one second. I will tell you. Oh, I think I just, I think I like Palo Santo. (laughs) I I do. (laughs) And maybe Sanctify. Okay. No, yeah, I I can, I can hear it. But I think they, they went with like, if you're over me, because it's more like King than, than the other songs. Yeah. And It's, it's more like, you know, what performed, but I'm like, eh. It's not, that's not really my thing. Um, this is old they, baby commercial part two. Everybody in khakis. <laughs> Which is funny because it's like, that's really not who they are. And if you've seen them perform and, and Ollie, especially like he'll come out in like a fishnet top and like some cute, like parachute pants. Mm-hmm. Although everybody parachute in parachute pants. pants. I know. I was just going to say, maybe, maybe that just, maybe that's too old Navy, but um, so cute. So fun. They performed uh, at uh, LA pride in 2019. Oh, and put on a really good show. Just so, you know, like I said, so fun. And then, you know, the other thing that we want to talk about is uh, Ollie basically had a starring role in the BBC series It's a Sin, which came out in the in the UK uh, this past December and debuted on HBO Max uh, in just a few months ago. Mm-hmm. And I know we both watched it. Current um, events. I know you want to talk about it. Fully relevant, yeah. in the present, Ollie Alexander starring in... Was it Russell T. Davies? Russell T. Davies. Russell right? T. Davies. Who yeah, who did uh, it's, uh, UK Queerest Folk? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a, it's it's a story that depicts the lives of you know gay men and their uh, friends who lived during the HIV/AIDS crisis in the U- United Kingdom in the eighties. Yeah, and I, so I was a really big fan of the UK Queerest Folk when it came out. I own it on DVD. It's oh, did you? Yeah. Can I borrow it? Yeah. I think I'm it's sorry. isn't it on asking of this now. <laughs> I think it's available on Prime Video. Maybe it's oh, not is it? I, I don't know. I've it never was... seen the UK version. I've seen maybe one or two episodes, but never seen. Um, what's version. his face? Uh, God, what's that guy's name? The guy from Sons of Anarchy who was supposed to be in Fifty Shades. Charlie of Hunnam. Charlie Hunnam as a young. Twink. Oh, oh, as the as the the young one. Yeah, wild that on British television they were depicting. Like a sixteen-year-old boy losing his virginity to a man in his twenties, but the, this young man played by a young Charlie Hunnam, who would later be on Sons of Anarchy, later um, reportedly cast in Fifty Shades of Grey, and then recast to uh, Jamie Dornan. Um. Anyway, <laughs> just <laughs> taking a trip down with memory that lane endorsement. There. Um, with queer, the, yeah, with that was that was the kind of the hook. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, and then, you know, I think Russell T. Davies did did another show called like Cucumber and Banana. Is that what that show was called? 
something like that. I don't remember the name of it. It, it was, was two uh, different shows. One focusing on like an older generation of gay men, and then yes, there was a younger which one. I didn't like as much. I think I tried to watch it. I, I think I did like too. It. You know where I think I watched part of it was at um our friend Aaron's bachelorette in um Austin. It was on TV <laughs> in Austin for some reason. Oh. Yes, you and I. I sat. With oh, okay, okay. You. That's yeah, how yeah, I know. We were on like we that second. Like... We were in that second floor of that house watching. Yeah, this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, um, anyway, it's a sin. It's a sin. Stars Ollie Alexander. Um, I was hesitant to watch it, just because I think that when it comes to, um, like period dramas about the AIDS pandemic, it's like you know where it's going to end up. It's like yeah. it's like when you're going into, um, you know, a film about the Holocaust. You you know where or the that Titanic ends up. or the Titanic. I didn't want to yeah, see, yeah. I didn't see Titanic. Where, I was like, when I know what's going to happen. When it, yeah, when you know what's going to happen. Um, and then, in addition to that, I think that you and I, we are kind of in this unique in between generation when it comes to, like, gay men. Um, when it comes to our relationship to the AIDS epidemic, AIDS pandemic, in that we fully came of age after, like, that whole mysterious era of the AIDS AIDS pandemic of that early 80s, right? We yeah. fully came of age into, like, the let's talk about sex, the safe yeah. sex era uh-huh. Um, get tested all of those things yeah like all those things were very very normalized for us i think from from the start like i don't know what yeah. your experience was like like you know growing up in san francisco in the 80s and 90s it was very like very progressive in that regard like i had sex education in san francisco unified public schools in fifth grade sixth grade eighth grade and tenth grade I can't tell you how many times I had to learn how to use a condom, how many times I had to like watch a woman giving birth, how many times, um, you know, I learned about how sex, how STDs are transmitted, which ones are curable, which ones are incurable, Mm. all the things, all the symptoms, how many pictures you have to see of like late stage syphilis. And let me tell you though, because I know that there's a lot of like, we had, I mean, because we always had that the the select kids whose parents would take them out of class for those particular portions of the the school day. But I will tell you that as a young kid going through that in the nineties, um, as you know, we as a society are trying to make our first attempts at like quelling the AIDS pandemic made me terrified of sex. Mm. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like I had no sex education. Like that, I mean... Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, again, like I, I always I always wonder how unique my situation was coming from, like, you know, a very progressive family in a very progressive city, having access to all of this stuff. Um, my God, when we had, um, you know, going into, like, the 90s, um, when we had AIDS Awareness Week in high school... There was a dance dedicated to AIDS awareness. And then I don't know if my chemistry teacher cleared this with anyone or anyone in the administration knows. But like, I remember junior year chemistry honors class, AIDS awareness week, our chemistry teacher brought in um, a speaker from ACT UP. Oh. 
Oh, wow. To talk to us about like AIDS awareness, but also like activism. And ACT UP was not like a mainstream. No, it's still not. Yeah. And in the 90s, it was very... uh... So this guy, by way of example, this guy came into our classroom, our chemistry, junior year chemistry class, bunch of 16-year-olds, and is just like geeking out on the fact that they went to City Hall, and I think that they threw blood at Diane Feinstein. He was really excited about this, and he was really excited to tell a room full of 15 and 16-year-olds about this. <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair, probably a lot of his friends had died. You know, but like this is the you know, but, and the, but this is the level of education that I received about about sex, about safe sex, about what was happening with the AIDS epidemic in the 90s and then um my point though was that like when i was watching it's a sin and realizing like oh this was like a when you start out going into like the the before times of the aids epidemic and you see the attitudes towards sex that those that that particular generation of men had when it seemed like you know gay liberation was going to be an eventuality right yeah yeah and that you know back in those days contraception was about preventing pregnancy and this was obviously something that gay men sexually active gay men did not have to worry about yeah and you were living in a time when um most of the major sexually transmitted diseases were curable with antibiotics Mm -hmm. you know and that you suddenly have this this turn right and you see that moment when people start to realize that like, oh, like suddenly gay sex is more dangerous than it had been. It had been in the decade previously. I don't know. Yeah. I, um, no, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, it's, it's, it shows because a lot of times we see, I, I don't know what necessarily made this feel different to me from other ones that I've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't know if it's because it showed a longer swath of time than just sort of dropping in to the middle of it or dropping in with, they can't have been older, but seemingly older individuals who are affected by this, right? Um, the, The core group of characters in this start like basically in their first years of college. Mm-hmm. Right. So they're very young and it's very relatable to how when we all go to college <laughs> or when, when we go to college and you, you have that first experience of just like doing whatever you want and, and you know, having to set boundaries for yourself or whatever, like meeting new people and, um, you know, just people that are different than you and exploring who you are and maybe your first sexual experience like as a gay man. I mean, um you know, you, you and and that that sort of formation of chosen family, which is a strong thing in the mm-hmm, in the mm-hmm. in the gay or the queer community, right? Chosen and it was family. A, and it was a pretty tight piece of storytelling in terms uh-huh. of kind of the narrative purpose of each of those characters being a part of this, you know, chosen family that they form. In terms of especially i think in terms of that time period that you're talking about like this this show takes place over like a 10 year period right yeah. yeah and so you get to see them in their formative years of kind of coming to terms with their sexuality um 
the way that they adapt themselves to their sexuality or uh, their new surroundings in terms of embracing their sexuality. Um, You know, and they all have different relationships to that. They're all very different in terms of their personalities, in terms of the conflicts that drive them towards it, right? In terms of what their family experiences are. And then as the series progresses, you know, I don't want to give any spoilers, um, but seeing how all of those relationships kind of net out in the end is very surprising. And I think that it it really is, the, it's so purposeful in trying to compare and contrast all those different people, you know, not only those characters, but, you know, the relationships they have with their parents. I think that was the thing for me that at the end, I was kind of um, really most touched by was like the way that you see their parents kind of act in ways that you either expect or don't expect. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, and, and, and I, I think, yeah, I think it, it's a, it's a gut punch because there's that aspect of it. But I think maybe one thing that I hadn't seen before, cause I was like you, I was kind of avoiding this because you know, you, you sort of know how this is going to end or you think you know how it's going to end. And I didn't want to sit, in that for however many hours, five hours, right? And and it's five episodes. Um, but I think it's just that sense of not just loss because people pass and, and die from this disease and, and, you know, like the ways in which it took people. But you mentioned, you know, sort of that that feeling free for the first time and and free to be who they were, free to love who they wanted or, or who they were attracted to and and to have that sense of liberation and then to have that sort of turn on you, mm-hmm. you know? So it's, you have just that sort of betrayal almost, right? Of like, you think you finally reached the promised land and it turns out to be a war zone, you know? And through no fault of your own, you know? And then I, I also I also just thought it was really interesting because, you know, it, this was filmed in 2019, uh, so before the pandemic. But you know, it's it's really interesting. You know, in all of the times we've talked about the AIDS uh, pandemic and just public attitudes towards it at the time, um, prior to the last year, it felt very. I was like, how could people react in this way? How did people not take it seriously? How did people not? Want, or, or why was there resistance to to finding a cure and why why was it so politicized and then you know we spend a year with covid and suddenly it's just like it's the same thing right yeah. misinformation fear mm-hmm. politicization politicization of who is getting it who's giving it to you uh what about the people who have it like what should they be given you know it's just and, and how do people react and um who has access to care and who doesn't? I, you know, it's, it, it really just put it in a different light. Um, but you know, all that being said, it's like the, it's emotional and it is, you know, it's really affecting. But overall, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I did not like Ollie Alexander's character. Yeah, I don't think you're supposed to. I mean, but I think to me that makes it effective. Okay. I feel like he I feel like his portrayal of that character was effective because I think he was the most annoying like he was like yeah, he's he he he's annoying. Like he's, you know, kind of annoying. Yeah. And, 
And I felt like, but I felt like he was, his character was kind of the centerpiece of, his character was kind of the centerpiece or like the crux of the entire series. Like Uh his character was, or it's like, I almost felt like the purpose of a lot of the other characters was to provide a foil to him in some sense or some point Uh of comparison against what he is experiencing. Yeah. Does that make sense? Especially because like the whole, the whole, well, I can't give away what happens, but the the whole finale kind of centers around him, right? Yeah. Um, Whereas, I I don't know. I just would have, I would have rather that the series centered around one of the other characters. I get that. I I was a little surprised by the last couple episodes that it took that turn Mm -hmm. um, because it had sort of devoted almost equal amounts to each different character up until that point. Mm -hmm. Um, While also keeping Richie, Ollie Alexander's character, kind of in the center the whole time. Um, So to go that hard in the the end was interesting. Um, Oh, and the other thing, I mean, the other thing that I got from it was, man, I, their one female friend, oh my God, it just feels terrible for her. Like that, she to me is like the unsung hero of the whole series is just how much abuse she takes. Yeah. Through the whole series. And yeah, is just such a sweet baby angel to everyone. And and takes it. She takes all of yeah. the abuse the whole time. Her name like, is Jill. I'm kind of outraged okay, so for her. Again. Her name is Jill. She's played by Lydia West. And I had seen that that criticism before. I mean, it's it's very similar to um, remember. Well, you know, speaking of queer as folk, okay. there's I forget her name. The char- Michael's oh, mother. Uh, oh, right. Is it her his mother? The woman who owns like the the rest of the coffee shop. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I'm thinking Cagney, Cagney or Lacey. <laughs> yeah whichever i i forget i i apologize actress sharon sharon yes sharon um i don't know her last name again <laughs> good i old apologize sharon. good old sharon but you know there's like the long-suffering uh mother Teresa uh female character in both mm-hmm. series right who's sort of like she's everything to them she's mom she's friend she's caretaker she's you know uh warrior for them you know advocate and she had i feel like they gave her a some life in in this show uh, but not enough and i wish i wish we we could have seen more i wish there could have been more but i also i also understand that um everyone was kind of grappling with what this was. And so like in hindsight, it's easy to like want to put words into a words and actions into a character's mouth to like, be like, you should have said this when they said that, but it's like, well, how would they know? You know, like that's not necessarily true to, to, to the time. Um, I think the intent with her character was to make her. Yeah. Like the angel, the hero of this group of friends. But yeah, in the process, like they really, she went didn't through give it. her much of a she didn't, but they didn't really give her much of a a life outside of yeah i don't even know what she did for a living oh she was an actress she was an actress right. remember she was in like les miserables like, like les <laughs> <laughs> i was like oh if they should have just snuck in one day more and i would have been happy but yeah like the vast majority of her like personal life was just spent taking abuse for being like you know compassionate, a friend and an compassionate ally to, or yeah you know. 
And 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 I but, think that's but I think it's it's unfortunate. I mean, part of the story hinges on that, right? Because you get that yeah. sense of unfairness because you know how misguided the characters are in thinking that her sort of advice about, you know, maybe we should be more cautious, maybe we should be looking at these, maybe we should be talking about these things more. You know that that's good advice, but again, like here are people who feel like their life is being taken from them. Uh, mm-hmm. And and so I, I felt like that made it realistic. I don't know how that felt more real to like how it would have been in that moment, you know? But anyway, I, I really, I really enjoyed the show and um, the, the, it's kind of like the years and years of it all where like there is a sense of joy and camaraderie that comes through, even if the content is you know, very serious and sort of somber. So, you know, to wrap up sort of the years and years conversation, um, the the film or the the show was was filmed during sort of a hiatus, uh, you know, between the second after the second album. Um, mm-hmm. Ollie had been asked to do to perform in it and to act in the in the in the film. And basically, so he did that really got into sort of the 80s disco you know the the 80s pop and disco soundtrack sort of that was happening at that time um okay. and felt really inspired because basically he he he'd hit writer's block on writing the third album then took a break to do because they'd just come off the tour for Palo Santo um took a break did the show and then realized he wanted to he was inspired by sort of the the music of that era and the content of the film and decided to kind of take the album in a completely different direction so scrapped basically everything that he had prior to um lockdown hmm. and started over and so the the new album was going is is supposedly going to be more in more 80s influenced i mean there's already sort of 80s influences in their music but um mm-hmm. I'll, I'm really curious to see. And then just um, this week in March, uh, they just announced that actually Years and Years is going to kind of, it's going to become Ollie's solo project. Um, Emery is uh, going to go, I believe is going to go and just work on production and songwriting himself. Mm-hmm. He's going to go in that direction. And Mikey, I, I'm not sure what he's going to do. Uh, apparently he's still playing for like their live shows and live performances. He'll still be part of the band, but like he's not years and years is now going to be an Ollie Alexander sort of solo project. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens with that. So um, I believe that album is out this year later, later this year. Mm. So years and years. Cool. Check Give them out. a listen. They've got something for everyone. If you like the high pitched shrill nasal twang with a uh, synthesized fanfare, they've got it. Oh, Barry. if you like the, uh, <laughs> No, give give him a listen. I'll I'll put together. Um, uh, I'll, you know, Barry's always really good about putting together uh, podcast playlists. I'll put one together with some of my favorites because my favorites aren't always like the big ones, uh, the yeah. most popular ones. So I'll put some of my stuff in there um, along with some of the other things. Um, did you know? Because I know you didn't like Ollie's take on "It's a Sin," the Pet Shop Boys. Did song. not. Nope. Did you hear their collaboration with the Pet Shop Boys for their their last album in 2019? the dreamland i did did you like it I, you know it's funny like i haven't so uh, pet shop boys is one of those bands for me that just holds 
steady at a particular place and time. Uh-huh. Yeah. And that's basically it. They stay so there. Like, they it's stay a, there. So it's a sin. It's a sin. The name of this show is based off of a Pet Shop Boys song that I think was from like 87, yeah. 88, maybe. Um, great Pet Shop Boys song. Pet Shop Boys was like the first CD I ever owned. Uh, yeah, I can see I, that. Pet Shop Boys discography was the first CD I ever owned. Um, so the song, It's a Sin, great, great song. I feel like it's one of those like queer undertone songs that yeah. you knew. Well, he, yeah. In your head, like what you would project, what you would project onto that song about gay life. Um, but yeah, they took, they took the song, It's a Sin, which was like this 80s synth. It's, it's very campy, orchestral, British. synthy, in, in that Pet Shop Boys way. Yeah. If you had a, if you had a like a Yamaha key, electric keyboard in the eighties, and there was like a, an instrument called the orchestra hit, it's all orchestra hits. It's the sound of every stringed instrument in an orchestra just playing a note at the same time. A lot of that in Pet Shop Boys. Um, so Ollie Alexander for the mini series or the limited series, it's a sin for BBC HBO Max recorded like an acoustic cover of that song, which um, it's fine. It's, it's yeah. That song, it, 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 always and forever, will be, you know, yeah. I mean, orchestra hits. It's That's, funny. It, it, it Pet just Shop Boys, I, I could not get into for the longest time. For the longest time. I, it just was that, it's that weird part, not weird. It's that specific 80s sound, and particularly like British, Britpop 80s sound, mm-hmm. that like, I just thought was it was too old. Like it just reminded, it was like, it was like of a, such a different era that I couldn't relate to. So like to. new, new like, order, like none of it. No, I didn't like it, but you know what? I've come around in the last few years where I'm like, I really like this. Like yeah. I've always sort of liked, well, that dusty spring, the one with dusty Springfield where they do, what have I done to deserve this? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Have, and, and, and what's Since the Liza one? Away. What was the Liza one? Oh, that one's a little bit later, isn't it? It is, but okay. it, and it's, because I've uh, come, like, it's a very specific uh, losing my mind. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's just a, like I said, it's a very particular thing, and it took me a while to get into it. But I was listening to you know their music again this weekend, and I was like, you know what, I I enjoy this now in a, in a way that I didn't appreciate before. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I was, it just didn't. I don't know. I wasn't in a place where that wasn't where I had a nostalgia moment so mm. anyway anyway you know what years and years good job fantastic i love it am i gonna you're gonna do the special thanks i you know what i'm gonna say that again good job jason because <laughs> i know i sound condescending and like i'm just trying to like end this episode but i'm truly not it's just my face and my voice <laughs> well i was over here i was like i was like do i do it this you know you know me you know me and you know how um, my particular intonation comes off a little bit, um, you know. Blase. Yeah, yeah. And you know how to read, you know how to see past that. You know how to look I in do. the middle distance and see the true intentions behind my words. And with that in mind, I would like to give some special thanks. I'd like to give special thanks to Adam Elder for composing our theme music. Songs and videos featured in today's episode will be posted to the... I'm going to let you know. <laughs> I'm going to let you know that songs and videos featured in today's episode will be posted to our website, floppredeemer.com. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. It really helps us out, I think. 
according to the resources we have. And um, check us out on social media at Flop Redeemer on Instagram and Twitter and at facebook.com slash Flop Redeemer. As always, email us, flopredeemer at gmail.com. <laughs>